All right, I'm joined here with Joe Jordan, who's the section director for MUFON, and he's also the president of CE4 Research Group. That's CE4Research.com. Joe, how are you doing down there in Florida today? Oh, doing good, Chris. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Let's see here. Um, If you want to just go over your history with MUFON, um, how you came to start CE4 Research, and then talk about how you ended up focusing CE4's research. We have all night, right? Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually started back in the summer of 1992. Um, Up until that point, I had no interest in UFOs, no interest in uh, any of the bizarre stuff. I was living a, should you say, normal life, uh, working for a living, trying to raise a son, and uh, made a trip to Alaska on vacation. And uh, as I was making that trip to Alaska, I flew out of Orlando, and I saw that it was going to be a 10-hour flight. So I went to the bookstore, and I looked around for a magazine or a book to read, and I didn't see any magazine that fit my interests or would last the whole flight. So I went over to the bookstore side, and I was browsing through the books. And I used to be an average science fiction reader back in high school, and uh, I picked up one particular book I thought was a science fiction book, and it was titled UFO Crash at Roswell. And... No idea what it was about, so I flipped it over and read the back cover of it, tried to get an idea, you know, what the storyline was. And as I read it, I was looking at the possibility that maybe this wasn't a science fiction book because what they were saying here read like science fiction, but it was saying that they had done research and investigations and this was to be science fact. And that caught my interest. So I took the book with me on the trip and started reading it on the flight up and consumed it over the week's day I had in Alaska visiting my brother. And uh, when I got back, I had the hook in me. And uh, I had to know more. And I took off from there and uh, trying to gain my knowledge of uh, what UFOs were about, what this whole idea of Roswell was about. And it wasn't a couple weeks after I got back from the trip, there was a uh, little news blurb on the local news uh, giving a little information about a store that had just opened up in uh, downtown Orlando on International Drive, where a lot of the tourism is, and uh, it was a UFO museum. And I thought, wow. So I watched a little bit that they had on there, and I thought, i got to go meet this guy that runs this place and see what he has. And uh, I ended up making a two or three trips over there uh, to talk to the owner, and uh, it was set up quite nice. It was... Uh, uh, like a history walkthrough of the whole UFO phenomenon, taking you from back in ancient times right up to, to now with uh, newspaper clippings and stories out of magazines and sighting reports and all sorts of things. Plus, he had a little bookstore there, too. <clears throat> and this is how I started my uh, knowledge buildup on the subject of UFOs. And after visiting this guy a few times, uh, he asked me if I might be interested in being more involved and I thought, oh, what does that mean? And he said that uh, you can actually be a UFO investigator, and he introduced me to the Mutual UFO Network. At the time, he was the state section director for uh, Orange County, which is the Orlando, Florida area, and uh, he had checked into a couple things before he asked me this, and he said, you're from Brevard County over on the coast where the Space Center is located. And uh, he says they have no organization over there at all they used to back in the 70s and he said uh kind of fizzled out people moved away and they never kept it up 
and he said, uh, they could use a good investigator over there. And he said, I'd be willing to work with you. So over the next few months, he uh, introduced me to how to get involved with MUFON. Uh, I went through the application process. I went through the study of uh, becoming a field investigator. And once I reached that point, he asked me, he said, uh, would you be interested in starting your own group over there? And I thought, wow, I can actually do this kind of work? And he says, yeah, we're a grassroots organization. He says, uh, once we train you up, you know, we encourage you to go out and get other investigators to work with you. And uh, he introduced me to um, the assistant state director of Florida. Uh, at the time was Bland Pugh, and he's now our state director, and I, I still work with Bland to this day. And great guy. Uh, he's had a, a, a really good heart to work with MUFON over all these years. And he goes back quite a ways with MUFON. And he put me on the phone with Bland, and Bland did an interview with me, and they pretty much agreed I'd be good for the position. And that's how I started with the Mutual UFO Organization here in Brevard County. And uh, there were some requirements that MUFON asked uh, if you were going to be a state section director to hold meetings, and they recommended places like public library that doesn't charge anything and you can get a room. And uh, I used to do that uh, one month, uh, one Sunday out of the month, and I'd be open to the public. And uh, to build up a team of investigators, people that were interested in coming on board and doing like I had, and making yourselves available for UFO investigations. Um, that's what MUFON's about. And you build up a database of uh, investigations that you go on. The database is, uh, is held by MUFON. A lot of those uh, sighting reports you can see online now, we didn't have that back in the early 90s. Everything was pretty much done by hand, but now it's all through technology. We can do a lot of this stuff online. <clears throat> and they've continued to build this database since uh, I think they were founded in 1969. So we've had a lot to work with over the years. <clears throat> we can always go back and research the database. Um, but when I first started into put, putting my meetings together, uh, one of the things I was warned about from the very beginning, which I had no clue what I was getting ready to be told, was to be aware of the new age people that show up at the meetings. And uh, they can kind of get things a little screwy. And I thought, okay, Bland, you know, I'll be aware of that. But I had no idea what he was talking about. And it wasn't until months after I started holding the meetings till I began to understand uh, what he was talking about. Because you get all sorts of people coming to these meetings <laughs> when you say you're having a UFO meeting. Uh, and it's open to the public. So it, it got to be kind of bizarre. And uh, the one thing I did realize through all of this, uh, listening to these people's stories, even though some of them were kind of crazy and kind of far out there, was this is an, it seemed to be an area that was being looked at, uh, these, the bizarreness of the whole UFO phenomenon. Uh, MUFON was pretty much scientific nuts and bolts investigations, but once you open up to where these people can come in and share their stories, it's, it's like we can't just turn them aside. They're part of this phenomenon. And as time went on, I started listening more and more of what they had to say, and I thought, you know, you can't just cut this off and say we're strictly nuts and bolts. There's, there's too much here uh, just to ignore, especially if you're trying to find an answer to, uh, you know, something that's happening. Um, it was like you only want to look at this part of it, you know, and let the other part go. And... Um, I started delving into the uh, areas that the New Age people were, were dealing in uh, just 
to be able to understand what was happening to them, what their thinking was about. And for about the next four years, I actually became involved with New Age studies and uh, the New Age belief system. I hadn't come from any religious background uh, myself up until that point, and it's like this was almost like a religion, you know, and it was like filling a couple needs. It was part of the investigations, yet it was part of a belief system at the same time. And as we did our sighting investigations, uh, which we did for probably five or six years, uh, we had quite a few here in the Space Center area. A lot of people kind of wonder what happens here at the Space Center. Um, it's one of the most secure places in the world as far as airspace and ground, you know, as far as security, even more today than it was then. But we still used to get sighting reports, uh, quite a few of them actually, and ones we'd have to follow up on and document and send in. And uh, some of them were kind of like wild goose chases, but some of them were really credible sightings. And not just ones that we were working on that were recent, but once you put yourself out there, they come out of the woodwork. People that had worked at the Space Center 20 years back in, even into the 60s, you know, that were still there, they had stories to tell about things they had seen over the Space Center or around the Space Center, um, which really puzzled me because of their high security system. How come this stuff wasn't detected or talked about? Uh, even the security people that were out there, they have a security force that's out there 24 hours a day, you know, and even in the middle of the night, you got the Rambo style that are covering acres and acres and acres of just jungle that uh, mm-hmm. is around the Space Center. And I've heard stories come out of them that are just fantastic, you know, things they had seen at night, but yet isn't talked about, you know, and a lot of it isn't even documented or recorded. You know, we would take a lot of it as we, we could get it and, and try to record it. But after four or five years of doing sighting investigations, you get this feeling, I did anyway, and my investigators that worked with me, because we really put an honest effort into this, trying to find out what this UFO phenomenon was about. And uh, we we began to feel like we were chasing our tails, should I say. I mean, how long can you do just sighting investigations? They've been doing them for, you know, since the 40s, 50s, and 60s even 70s and right up, and they're still doing sighting investigations. We still have no answer. It's still as confusing as ever. Um, and we were getting that feeling a short four- or five-year period. And we felt that there's got to be another avenue here to take to get closer to the source of what's happening. And listening to the people that have been coming to our meetings, which a lot of them were so-called contactees or abductees, um, people that claim they have been in contact with or had been abducted by these entities that said they piloted these craft that other people were seeing in our sighting investigations. Well, putting two and two together, I said, you know, these people are the front line. If these people are in contact with these entities, this is who we need to be investigating and, and talking to. So that's when we made a turn and formed a CE4 research group. And the reason we did that, CE4 research being close encounter, fourth kind research, abductions, uh, the reason we did that is because back then there was real, really no format for investigating abductions set up by MUFON. Um, abductions weren't nuts and bolts. Uh, we had some people that in MUFON that were investigating abductions, but it's kind of hard to document cases. It's, it's kind of hard to fill out forms, you know, because the abductions can get so bizarre. 
they didn't have a format for doing that. So we separated and uh, we stayed with MUFON, but we set up a separate entity, uh, CE4 Research, to do the investigations and to document the cases uh, dealing with abduction experiencers. And that was in about 1996. And uh, we had a couple of really good uh, abduction experience cases that we were working with here local. We didn't have to go too far to uh, to be able to talk to these people. And uh, they were quite fantastic and, and quite outside the normal realm of dealing with nuts and bolts investigations. A lot of it seemed to be, should I say, paranormal in nature. And uh, that was something that was very interesting to look at because uh, there was claims of shape-shifting, claims of entities coming through the walls, uh, claims of levitation, you know, a lot of stuff that doesn't really fit normal science. And at that time, being that we were just starting into this, we made it a point to consume every book, every piece of literature, every conference tape that we could get our hands on from the other abduction researchers in the realm, David Jacobs, um, Whitley Strieber, and a lot of the other ones that had done some serious work, and try to build up our knowledge base before we start into this so that we would have some kind of background to be able to, you know, to base everything on. And there was always the major questions that were constantly being asked and are still being asked today. You know, why did I get abducted? And why does it seem like a generational thing? And why are children being abducted? You know, and these are still questions that they're asking today in the UFO field. And it was right about fall of uh, 96 that uh, I had an introduction uh, to something totally different. But it was it ended up working right along with what I'm working with now, still dealing with abductions and UFO investigations. I had a girlfriend at the time that uh, was a Christian, and we were dealing with a couple of really bizarre cases uh, that they were kind of scary, should I say. And uh, she pulled me aside one night, and she said, uh, you know, you really need some protection working around this type of stuff. And uh, I said, well, I got lots of protection. You know, I got these nice rocks and gems here in my pocket that give me all sorts of protection. That was from my new age background. And she says, no, no, I mean real protection. And I said, well, what are you talking about? You know, and she hands me a Bible, and she says, it's in here. And I thought, ah, you know, that's that's got nothing to do with what I work with. And she said, uh, I think it does. And she said, would you be willing to, you know, let me show you some things? And I said, you know, I'm trying to put her off. And uh, she said, you know, one time you told me, and you tell other people this too, she said, you say that you're the most open-minded and objective investigator around. And I thought, okay, you got me. Let me see what you got. <laughs> and it didn't take long for her to show me some key scripture in there which I remembered from growing up in the church, you know, when I was younger. Um, but I'd never heard it like this before, and as simple as she had told it to me and, and shared it with me. But there was some major things in there that I saw that I thought, you know, this is a lot better than, a lot more powerful than the, these rocks I got in my pocket. And through a little work with her, I actually became a Christian in November of '96. Now, does that make any difference as far as my UFO studies go? I didn't think it would. Um, so I continued with UFO studies. I didn't know what they were. And uh, 
but I knew that I had some protection behind me now. But also as an investigator and as a new Christian, I wanted to know what I was now, and I wanted to know as much as possible about being a Christian. And uh, one of my investigators, who happened to be a Christian also, uh, he said, you know, i got this buddy of mine that's got this uh, intense Bible, short-term Bible study program that can really get you up to par real fast. He said, you can sit in a lifetime of Sundays and probably not get as much information through the, than you would through this study course. So I took the time. Uh, we had two weeks off at Christmas from where I work, and we sat down, and every evening we watched three hours of this video course, and uh, it was quite intense, and I learned a lot real fast about uh, biblical theology and uh, about what a Christian was and what they believed in and how the Bible was laid out and how to study it and the uh, learning the authority of the Bible and the and all that that comes with it. But it was really fast, real intense. And about the first week into it, uh, we were sitting there one night, and the guy that was giving the lesson on the on the video, he got to this one area he titled spiritual warfare. And I thought, well, that's a neat sounding term. Uh, I wasn't sure what it meant. And he got into reading some scripture, and he went to the book of Ephesians in the Bible, New Testament, and uh, chapter 6, and he read this verse 4. And uh, it said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realm. And something happened when I heard that. I had a vision of the gray, the alien gray, right there in front of me, right in my mind. And in an instant, it changed and became the most horrible thing I had ever seen. In that moment, I knew that these entities were not who they say they were, that they were actually bad. That impression was total, powerful, and I knew that I knew that I knew that something was wrong here. And I told my buddies, stop that video. And they said, what's wrong? And I told them what I had just seen. And they said, uh, wow, we never looked at it like that. And I said, this scripture has something to do with it. It tells you who these entities are, that they're not extraterrestrial, that they're spiritual in nature, and they're not good. At that point, we talked about it a little bit, and I said, you know, I don't need to be delving in this realm of UFOs anymore. So I, we agreed that we'd put this aside and uh, move on, do more Bible study, learn more. But it wasn't about a month went by, and... Something's telling me, you're not done with this. And uh, my buddy says, oh, maybe God's talking to you. I said, well, I'm going to talk back to him because I am done with this. And I kept getting this feeling, no, you're not. And I said, well, God, I don't know how I'm supposed to talk to you being a new Christian, but, you know, you got to give me more than this. You know, if, if you want me to do something with this, I said, I come from the New Age. The Bible doesn't believe the New You know, the New Age doesn't believe the Bible. They think it's written by old men smoking who knows what back then. And they, they think it's a lot of nice stories, maybe a lot of guidelines for a way to live, but they don't believe the authenticity of it. And uh, I said, if I'm going to take this back and share it, share the truth with them and the UFO field, I said, you got to give me something better. Well, as a new Christian, I thought, you know, this will hold him off for a while. And uh, it was no more than a week later, 
I was told, go look at this video we had already done. It was an interview with one of our abduction experiencers. I dug this video up, and I remember sitting in the guy's living room with my Christian investigator, and both of us had sat there, interviewed this guy for two hours of videotape uh, about his experiences. And then I went back and I plugged the tape in, and there it was. We had missed this. For some reason, while we sat there in this guy's living room with the recorder running, the video camera running, we had still missed it. Um, but he talked about an experience that he had as a new Christian. And during this experience, of course, he was terrified, which a lot of the experiencers are. He called out, Jesus, 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 or Jesus, help me. And in an instant, that experience stopped. And he was back awake in his bed. Well, that was unheard of. In all the studies we had done of other people's work, we had never heard that before and never read it anywhere. That an abduction experience could be stopped. Remember, this is back in 96. <clears throat> and uh, I didn't know what to make of it, but I knew this was something powerful. And I had to verify that this was something that was real or had happened before, and not just to him. I needed more than just him. So being in the field of uh, abductions and ufology for some time, I, I had contacts call, and I pulled the numbers out for some of the top researchers in the country for abductions. And I called them. They're normal people like you and I talking on the phone. And I said, hey, guys, I've got an unusual case here, and I'd like to share it with you and get some feedback. And I share the case with them, and uh, every time they would ask, can we go off the record? And I said, sure, you know, which means I can't tell you who said what, but I can tell you what they said. And uh, I said, sure, you know, we can go off the record. Just help me out here, you know. And they said, uh, we have cases like that. And I said, you do? And I said, well, I've never read about it or heard about it, and, you know, why not? And a uh, couple answers, one of one of two answers, or sometimes both answers, would come out of them. And uh, they would say that, well, first we didn't really know what to make of it, which that could be honest, but the second one puzzled me. And the second one was usually we were afraid to go there because it might affect our credibility in the realm. <laughs> well, isn't that like a cover-up? If you're doing research but you don't want to share that information because it might change what you're preconceived outlook is, you know, mm -hmm. that's called a cover-up, you know, and, and over the years in ufology, I constantly hear about government cover-up, government cover-up, government cover-up, but, you know, we're dealing with information being kept from us, from our own researchers that we're expecting to give us the truth, so I told these guys, I said, uh, you know, I work for a living, I'm not doing conferences, I'm not writing books, but you're telling me that this case is not unusual, it's not an exception, and there's more cases like this out there. And they said, yep. And I said, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find those cases. You know, I've got nothing to lose here as far as credibility. I'm just a, you know, a researcher down here trying to do a, you know, work for MUFON. And I said, I'm going to publish these cases, which I ended up doing by Internet and uh, these testimonies of these experiences like this. 
And they said, the one thing that they all said, every one of them, please do, because we can. And that started this movement into where I am today, working with abduction experiencers. And the first thing we did uh, was we contacted, I had a reporter here that we'd worked with uh, that used to come to my meetings, and he printed four or five stories over the past couple of years um, before this time on stuff that we were doing with MUFON, and he was uh, real interested in UFO studies. And I talked to him about this, and he said, uh, I can't touch that article. And I said, why not? And he says, because there's a lot of religious connotation here. And I said, okay. But he says, I know somebody that will. So he got the, the lady that does the religious articles for the newspaper to come listen to us. And uh, we shared with, we, you know, with her what we had, and she thought this was absolutely fantastic. So she printed a two-page article, a really good one, uh, in the local, what they call people section of uh, our newspaper. And I thought, wow, we made it big. You know, we got a good article here. And a couple weeks went by, and I started getting phone calls of pe from people who had read the article. But the phone calls weren't local phone calls. They were from all over the country. And the people would call me and say, hey, I read your article in our local paper. And I thought, what local paper? You know, the one here in, in Brevard County? And they said, oh, no, the one here in Massachusetts, the one in hmm. Illinois, you know, all over. And I thought, well, wait a minute. This was in our local paper. How did you get it? And come to find out, our today newspaper here is uh, an affiliate of Gannett Corporation. <laughs> and uh, Gannett ran it through all their affiliates. So by God's grace, this thing got out there. And uh, where a lot of people were able to see the article, and a lot of people that had had an experience and had called on the name and authority of Jesus Christ wanted to share their story that they had stopped this experience, like this man that I had, that I shared with the lady for the article. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, these are cases coming in. This is documentation that this is not a single event. I've actually, I actually have the documentation. And the one thing that's critical about this is scientific research. Um, the one thing that they talk about that is the most verifying of research uh, is being able to uh, repeat it. Isn't that what they talk about? Mm -hmm. Being able to repeat the experiment in, in most scientific uh, research? Well, this one seems to be repeatable. I mean, you have people that have sighting reports, but you, they repeat it. You know, they, can't, you, they don't call the ship back in or the craft back in or the, whatever they saw so that it can happen again. We don't get much of that. Um, maybe once in a while you might hear a story like that. But uh, that's not something that seems to be repeatable. And yet this seems to be repeatable. We've had people that have done this a number of times through diff you know, re repetitive experiences to be able to call out and the experience be stopped. And... Um, that led us into some little bit deeper research. Why does this work, you know, and uh, on what type of people does this work for, you know? Because what we started looking at here in, in the research, one of the questions that was asked by one of our investigators was, are Christians being abducted? And 
and come to find out the answer was yes. But yet I came across a Christian researcher, uh, Dr. David Allen Lewis out of Springfield, Missouri, that wrote a book, UFO End Time Delusion, where in his book that he wrote 1992, I think it was, 90 or 92, um, he said that he had never come across it about Christian who had had an abduction experience. Yet I was getting them call, calling in and sharing their experiences that they had. So I contacted him uh, in Springfield, and I said, you know, I need to talk to you about your book. And uh, I shared with him what I had. And after we had talked for a while, we realized we had, uh, I guess, uh, a difference of words, uh, how you play on words, because <laughs> what we found was we didn't have any devout Christians that had been through the abduction experience. And we had to separate it, and we used the terminology uh, walk the walk Christians and talk the talk Christians. There seemed to be a difference. And uh, we didn't have any case, cases coming from, testimonies coming from walk the walk Christians. But there were plenty of talk the talk Christians who believed but didn't practice, should I say, mm-hmm. and uh, practice completely or wholly, however you want to use that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had been open to these type of experiences. But because they were believers, and they used the name and authority of Jesus Christ in a time of need, their experiences were stopped. <coughs> so we were seeing a pattern here um, amongst these type of experiencers. And some of the questions that uh, originally had come up with other UFO researchers, abduction researchers, <coughs> were why me and why kids and why generational? Well, we started finding the answers to these questions in the Bible because we knew that if this was a spiritual event, not an extraterrestrial event, and the name and authority of Jesus Christ could stop these experiences, then there must be some kind of biblical connection answering these questions. So as we started looking, the answers started coming out. And we would ask these people, you know, um, when when did you start having the experiences? And if they were adults, we could always take it back to where um, they seemed to have been dabbling in something that was ungodly. And it, should I say, opened the door for this type of experience to happen. Mm-hmm. This is why the difference walk the walk and talk the talk. And uh, if they said that they had had the experiences since they were children, we would go back and talk to them about what their parents were like. And you would always find that the parents weren't living a godly life, and they might have been dabbling in who knows what also, which left an open door in the family. And scripture backs that up because it says the head of the household is the spiritual covering of the family. Well, if the head of the household is not giving that spiritual covering, then the family is wide open to the attacks of the enemy. So we were seeing these things answered here, you know, these questions. We were seeing that they had a, a biblical source for an answer. And that was quite fantastic that we were able to to see that every time that we were doing the interviews with the experiencers. And then the next thing I from there on was to try and get this message out. 
and that's when we put up the CE4 website a few years ago and started posting these testimonies uh, for these people and so that they could share their experience and share what's happened to them and share that they've had a victory over this experience and to be able to help others. Mm-hmm. So over the years, how many uh, how many of these have you done? Yeah, at least 250. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm way over that now. I, I quit counting. It right. was like they would come in and it seemed to be important to think of it, you know, one by one, you know, right from the beginning. But, you know, I'm still getting two, three calls a week, emails a week, you know, where people want to share the experience because the website's been out there for some time and actually I'm connected to quite a few websites. Uh, CE4 is actually um, part of alienresistance.org, uh, which we came together uh, somewhere along the line, I think it was 97, um, through email and looking at websites. Came across Guy Malone, and uh, he was out of Nashville, Tennessee. Come to find out, he is was a former experiencer, and he had this exact same testimony. And he had put his testimony into book form, uh, a little book called uh, Come Sail Away. And uh, you can read that free online on our Alien Resistance website. And uh, he had it in printed form for a while, but he left it there for you know everybody to make sure they had access to and read. And uh, worked with him. And then we also came in contact with uh, Dr. Chris Ward out of Leesburg, Florida, who pastors a church in Leesburg, and had done his doctoral thesis on the origin of demons. And he was able to show who these entities were biblically. And uh, between the three of us, we all had a, a piece of the puzzle, should I say. And uh, the all three all three of us decided to come under the, the you know one um, covering called Alien Resistance Headquarters. Even though we each have our own thing that we do, uh, we decided to, you know, to unify and, and put together a really good website trying to explain it all. And uh, that's what we do with Alien Resistance. Um, can you give the listeners, uh, I've just reading over so many of these, can you, can you give the listeners a, uh, an example, anything, a particular experience that maybe comes to mind? I know that may be a hard thing to do, but is there any particular one as for an example? <laughs> yes, there is. <clears throat> a really good one. Um, and actually, I've had this woman with me in Roswell uh, two or three years there. She came out with me and spoke at the conferences with me. Um, because when I share this information at, at a conference-style setting, uh, I can stand up there as a researcher, like all the other researchers do, and say, you know, this is what I've, re- this is what I found, and this is what I've documented, and trust me, you know, which is pretty much how you have to take all these conferences when you go to them you know trust me this is true Mm -hmm. but i go a step farther i try to have one or two or more of the experiencers with me and say you know i can say trust me or i can say how about living testimony and this one in particular her name is joyce aarons and uh she's out of a little little town in missouri near springfield and when I, when I first met her, I didn't realize who she was. Um, it was the last night of X-Files, the last showing of X-Files, the end of the whole show. Remember that? Did you watch it? Uh, uh, no, I didn't really. It was a couple years ago, a few years ago, uh, 2004, I think it was, and uh, or three. 
And I was sitting a watch. I want to make sure I saw the last show. And right in the middle of it, I get a phone call. And it's a woman telling me that she's an experiencer and she saw my number, uh, saw my name, actually. And she looked it up and found my number and called me. Uh, because it, the local reporter I told you about that had done stories about what I did here um, had printed an article that day on the last show of X Files, you know, and, and what it's done through, you know, for society and blah blah blah. But he put my name in there and where I lived. And so she got in the phone book, found my number, and called me and wanted to share, you know, because she'd recently moved here from Missouri. Uh, she had separated from her husband and uh, and moved down to Florida looking for work, and uh, saw my name and wanted to share her story. And I ended up meeting with her and listening to her whole story, and I didn't realize that I had seen her before. And actually on uh, Sightings Channel and on the A&E Channel, uh, The Unexplained, her family had been documented uh, on both of those shows. And it was her, her husband, uh, her daughter and son, and even her grandchildren um, were all shown on this show having been abduction experiencers. So it had been aired nationwide, if not worldwide, over the past few years before I met her. And uh, when I went first came to meet her, I started sharing with her what I did. I said, you might be looking for something different from me, you know, as a MUFON researcher, but i, I got to share with you what I do. And what I did, it just like everything opened up for her. All of a sudden, she saw the truth in what I was saying, um, and everything changed for her in her life. Um, she actually wanted the protection that was available that these people had. Uh, she actually made a profession, made a uh, profession of faith in my living room, and I uh, was able to work with her and show her what we've been doing with these people and teaching them. And uh, she's been able to stop her experiences completely. And I've had, like I said, I had her at Roswell two times for conferences, and uh, she would be the living testimony that I would bring up there. Totally different person because these people are distraught. You know, this 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 experience ruins their lives. Mm -hmm. It's something they have no control over, and, and people don't like things happening to them that they don't have control over. But it's so bizarre they can't share it with anybody. Uh, they're ridiculed if they do, and. It was destroying her family. Um, that's why she had left. And here, everything had turned was able to turn around because she was able to stop this experience uh, by giving her life to, to Jesus Christ and by able to use the name and authority with that name to stop all of this. And she's been able to turn her life around. Um, she eventually went back to Missouri. Uh, she's sharing this with her family. And it's a beautiful story, you know, and it has an ending to it. But the strange thing is that that show on sightings and the A&E channel, The Unexplained, still airs to this day. They run it like a couple times a year, <laughs> but they've never given the end of the story, hmm. you know, which I have the end of the story, what's happened to her and how she's been able to, to, to stop all this and put it behind her and even share it with her family. Hmm. And it's a shame that people are still seeing this but not seeing the end of the story you know well how does her uh, story go what, what kind of experience was it they 
the first recollection, and, and they had worked with uh, Dr. John Carpenter from MUFON uh, for hypnotic regressions to, to bring all of this information out from their experiences. But uh, the one that was the, 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 seemed to be the one that started it all was uh, it was a simultaneous experience between with her and her husband both, and they had seen their daughter, uh, which was a baby at the time, actually taken from the crib, and uh, they were actually walked out of the the bedroom and through the house, and actually taken up to craft and uh, over the different abductions that she's had, um, she had actually had so-called pregnancies and then wasn't pregnant and then had been taken to see these hybrid children. Uh, she'd been given prophetic messages uh, by these entities and where they, they take them to a room and they show them things on a, on a visual screen. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the same stuff you would hear from other experiencers. A lot, there's a lot of similarities between the abduction experiences. Quite a few differences, but the general storyline seems to always be the same and so and uh, yeah and so how did she end up uh, stopping did, how did that experience go well once she became a believer uh, a Christian believer in Jesus Christ um, there was a couple times where she felt the experience was beginning to happen again and uh, she used what I had taught her and, and shared with her about other people doing this, and both times was able to stop the experience. And eventually, they quit happening completely. And that's what we're looking for. One thing we started out with in the beginning was uh, Chris Ward and I and Guy Malone, we were sharing on the website that you could stop this experience in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. But what we didn't know at the time when we first started into this was you could stop it completely in your life, which becomes a different word. If you, in other words, you could terminate the experience from happening, and that means ending it completely, which is what we have are cases of people that have been able to actually stop it from reoccurring ever again. And that's the main thing we're trying to get to with, with these people, which has now become a ministry of what, you know, what we do. It's we went from investigations and documentation, which we still do, because, you know, if you're sharing this with somebody, it's like, how many cases do you need to see that this is real, you know, that this is happening, and you're not getting it from other, you know, uh, books and lectures and, and stuff. Right. Um, but we've taken it actually a, a level farther, where now we can actually teach people and guide people in how to be able to put this completely behind them. We didn't actually have a, uh, a format that we went by. It was pretty much off the cuff. And then uh, a couple of years ago, my wife came across a book, and she says, you need to see this book, and you need to read it because I think it could pertain to your ministry. <clears throat> and it, it did. It, it, I was fascinated by it. And uh, it's a book called uh, A More Excellent Way. Spiritual Roots of Disease, Pathways to Wholeness, and it's written by a Dr. Henry W. Wright. And in this book, there's a section called The Eight R's to Freedom. Now, when we're ministering to somebody and, and taking them through the steps on how to be able to stop this, how to be able to terminate this experience, not just stop it as it happens, but terminate it from their life, 
we take them through these eight R's. And actually, we had been doing that already. We just didn't have it in any format that we could, you know, say is in writing. And then here I read this, and this is exactly the way we were doing it, and yet he had already written it down and um, expounded on each one of them, and it was like, this is perfect. You know, we didn't have to rewrite the, the book. We didn't have to reinvent the wheel. And uh, real quickly here, the, the eight R's was... The first one is recognize. You must recognize what it is, you know, what the the problem is. And the problem is the lie of who these entities say they are. And then responsibility, you must take responsibility for what you recognize. In other words, do something about it. And then repent. Repent to God for participating with what you recognize, which most experiencers um, are actually participants. You know, they take it to the next level from being terrified to wanting to understand what is happening to them a little more and they become more involved with all sorts of things, you know, which lead them down a really nasty path. And then number four is renounce. You must make what you recognize your enemy and renounce it. Number five is remove it, get rid of it once and for all, all your ties to it, all your books, all your studies you've been dealing with, trying to figure out what it was. Resist, number six, when it tries to come back, resist it. And that's where the name and authority of Jesus Christ comes in, which overrides everything. And then number seven, rejoice, give God thanks for setting you free. And then number eight, which is the most important, when you're done with all of this, is restore, help someone else to get free. And how do you do that? By sharing what you've done. And that's where the case files and testimonies come in that we post on the website. Yeah, so those, that we can help others. And uh, I'm sure that they are. Uh, people are seem to be suffering from this quite extensively, and there's just nowhere to turn to, uh, it seems. And, and there's all these reoccurring themes. I love the way that, that you come from a, a scientific background and, and reproducing data, as you said. And, and one of those things that's it's hard to, to understand, or hard to accept probably, uh, is that it does seem to involve the occult so much, and that's, a, and that's just a reoccurring after taking so many... Uh, uh, testimonies that they are consistently either involved in the occult or their parents are, which suggests, as you said, that that it doesn't even have to be them. But I even noticed uh, a few that didn't have any of the occult connection that that uh, they would like make a remark about their dad being in the Navy or the Air Force, kind of offhand, which caught my attention. Is that was kind of a red flag of any of MK Ultra victims as well. And, uh, sure. and different things like that, uh, uh, and the same phenomena. So, but that's just weird how that how that kept reoccurring. So I bet that is hard to hear for some people that it is an actual uh, a symptom or or I don't know what the word I'm looking for there. But yeah, that's where it comes into the <clears throat> the genetic part. The top researchers, secular researchers in, in abductions, they were seeing uh, a genetic line uh, that was showing up here, you know, through the family reoccurring events through the through the through the different family line but we couldn't put our finger on it you know but we knew that it had to be an answer biblically and, and yet we were able to see that you know what was causing that and scripture talks about that that they talk about generational curses <clears throat> you know to the seventh generation um, but at the same time there can be blessings for a thousand generations mm-hmm you know, and that's something that we saw here. Once this healing happens, you know, Joyce is able to go back and share this with her family. You know, with her daughter and her brother and her son, and also with her grandchildren. Mm-hmm. 
and hopefully that's going to break a generational cycle in that family. Can you talk a little about what the aliens try or whatever try to tell these people? What what kind of theme do they continue with their agenda as far as a message? Well, in the communication um, with these entities, there's always, and this is another one that isn't talked about too much, or is it recognized, is there's always an anti-biblical, anti-Christ, anti-Christian message. And if we're dealing with extraterrestrials from star systems far, far away, it seems odd that they would come here to just, you know, come against one religion that we have in this world. You know, uh, to give you an example, to make this so your listeners understand this, my uh, first invest one of my first investigators had asked me about this same question, and uh, I said, let me give you an example. And he had never been to a New Age bookstore. <clears throat> you ever been to one? Uh, yeah, I've seen them. Yep. Well, just a little tour, visual tour through a New Age bookstore. You go in a New Age bookstore and you, you start down the aisles and there's tarot cards, there's Wiccan, there's uh, all different Hindu studies, there's American Indian, you know, and it just goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. But they're all under one roof, understand? Mm-hmm. They're all being sold in the same store. Witchcraft is right along with it. It's like going to a New Age book section in a in, in a bookstore, regular bookstore. All the bizarreness is under one section, yet none of them have anything to do with each other. Yet you take the one separate one, Christianity by itself, and that's the one they come after. When none of these other ones, the one who are always under the same roof or same section, nothing to do with each other, nothing said about them. So it was kind of odd that it's always that message that they're bringing. They bring a message of uh, apocalyptic time that's coming. Uh, we've already seen that in biblical, you know, mm-hmm. studies. Uh, in Revelation, they talk about a you know an apocalyptic time that's coming. Um, they seem to, to show a different outcome for it. So it's like they're they're here to preach a new gospel, should I say? Um, it's always the same as the the New Age belief system line, you know, that you too can be gods, or we are your gods, uh, and you too can be like us. You know, it's a lot of the the same thing that I was hearing when I was into New Age studies. And it seems to play a lot on, on their pride, their sense of their need to be special, and even some people will oh, endure absolutely. torture in order to just cling on to the fact that they're special in some way. And they're given all absolutely. these psychic powers and stuff through this because it's it's real power, you know. It's like uh, it becomes a seduction. Um, this this whole idea of you're special, you know, is a major seduction, especially with people who have been through some traumatic things. Um, another thing we saw there was uh, that Dr. Lewis wrote about in his book, UFO End Time Delusion, the, the, the play between the entities that he was seeing. <clears throat> it was like good cop, bad cop but they were both cops. Mm-hmm. In other words, good alien, bad alien, but they're both aliens. They're both from the same source. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was part of that brainwashing, and, and Donna Higby wrote about this, uh, brainwashing of abductees. And this is what we were seeing happening to these people. And if it continues before they can get true help, 
you end up seeing them siding with the entities. They become like their chosen people, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, they end up preaching this new doctrine themselves. And we see a lot of that in the UFO realm. <clears throat> and these are uh, your so-called channelers and, and that we see out there and uh, group leaders that, that start different, I don't know if you call them cults or organizations where they try to get people to be part of it. Uh, that's a lot of where this comes from is they've been through that transition. It, it, I think the term was the Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, they started out being terrified by these entities, but eventually they ended up siding and, you know, standing up for them. Um, same thing we saw with the Patty Hearst, which is an example of the Stockholm Syndrome mm-hmm. back in the 70s. She was abducted by the Simonis Liberation Army. She was kept and held. Next thing you know, we see her in a bank, you know, robbing banks with them. Mm-hmm. Same thing happens with these people if it's not caught early. And as far as helping somebody that's made it to that that level, uh, we've had a hard time reaching people once they get to that level. If we can get them to where they're in the terrified, confused state, uh, we can offer them hope. And something that nobody else out there is offering in this UFO realm for abduction experience is true hope. I mean, you can offer, you see offers all the time on the Internet for, you know, join our abduction experience or group, support group. But what is, what's, what support are they giving them, you know? Uh, oh, several of the experiences on your uh, websites are, are describing what medically in America is called night terrors or sleep paralysis, uh, in which a person is is uh, usually paralyzed, um, fully awake, yet cannot move or, or their bo- any body part or sometimes even speak. And this is most often accompanied by a feeling and or seeing and or interacting with a evil presence or being, uh, although... It's, although this is very common, this presence is always dismissed as a hallucination, although most every culture sees this phenomenon as clearly spiritual. Uh, how do you view this field, and have you tried to tell them about your research and your findings? <coughs> I've tried to tell everybody about this. <laughs> it's, uh, the, trying to share this is, is the toughest thing I've ever tried to do. Uh, I was so accepted when I was studying flying saucers. Um, I was so accepted when I was studying New Age belief systems. But when I came and found what I feel is to be the truth with this, it's like I'm the most unwanted piece of the puzzle. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I know what you mean. It's like they're all trying to put a piece of the puzzle together. And by the way, that's the title for my talk down in Roswell this year. I'll be speaking at the uh, UFO Festival Conference. <clears throat> I have a two-hour workshop on Saturday down here. What's what's the date on that? Oh seven, oh seven, oh seven. All right. Uh huh. <laughs> I thought that was pretty special. <laughs> yeah, it'll be at uh, one at one to three in the afternoon, and uh, the actual title of the talk is the unwanted piece of the puzzle, uh, the UFO and abduction puzzle. That's good. And it's like they're all trying to put these pieces together. All the different researchers have a piece, but when I come with my piece. They don't want my piece mm-hmm. because my piece is going to change what they think the puzzle is supposed to look like. Right. And this is so tough. Uh, it, it's hard to share this. I've done honest research. I've documented cases. Uh, I'm one of the only ones that's seen uh, what we talked about earlier, a repeatable 
thing. Because I can take, I've got testimonies where people have done this over and over, and then finally we took it to the level where they can stop it completely. And I have case upon case that shows this, you know, but yet I'm not accepted in here. Um, even trying to share this with MUFON, it, it seems to be impossible uh, to get any acceptance from them. And I've been with them for 15 years now. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm challenging them. You know, let's let's put these put this stuff out there. Let's let me let me have a chance to, to talk and, and and share what I have. Right. And you should at least be looking at it. You know, not putting the blinders on. You know, if you're if you're so open to, to doing honest research, then look at the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's something I wanted to share with you while I have you. Is uh, when I first started in the MUFON, <clears throat> they have a mission statement. And uh, when I started in the MUFON, this was the mission statement. MUFON's mission is the systematic collection and analysis of UFO data, with the ultimate goal of learning the origin and nature of the UFO phenomenon. Well, a few years ago, that mission statement changed. And now the mission statement is, MUFON's mission is the scientific study of UFOs for the benefit of humanity Hmm. through investigation, research, and education. Did they already find out who they were somewhere along the line? (laughs) You know? And maybe they forgot to tell me. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this is strange. Um, that it's changed that radical, and it, it's a it's a shame too because I mean you're you're I mean you're truly on the front lines of this spiritual warfare. I mean you're dealing with demons directly, in some cases Satan directly. It seemed like I mean uh, uh, unfortunately the the churches have been so watered down that that they're being of little help. If you had much support from them, and it is just like being stuck in the middle of of, of two worlds. Sure, um, we were at the 2004 conference. <clears throat> and uh, we had uh, our Ancient of Days conference that Guy Malone had in 2003 and 2004. The 2004 conference, when I was on the panel discussion, I was sitting there with Richard Dolan and uh, um, Stephen Bassett and uh, a lot of the big names that Guy had invited into that particular conference. And 2003 was the first Christian Christian UFO abduction conference. 2004 was the first Christian-slash-secular UFO abduction conference where we invited the secular speakers in to speak with us. And it was a very good mix. And we were in the panel discussion, and, and somebody asked Stephen Bassett this question because Stephen Bassett is all about uh, um, getting this information out. Disclosure, that's the word I'm looking for. And the question was, you know, what would happen to the people in the event of true disclosure, you know, and panic and everything else that would happen, you know, where do these people turn to? And he made the statement that there's already an organization in place that's able to handle you know, people that become distraught or, or were confused, you know, and he said that's in the American church. There's already an organization there. And I had to butt in, and I said, you know, they're not ready. I said, it's structurally, it might be set up for that purpose, <laughs> but they're not ready, you know, and, and I had to bring that up at that point. I had to get it on record, because we've tried to get this message out to the American church, and it's tough. It's like, you know, let's not go there. Let's let's just not look at that, and we'll be fine with it. But, you know, there's an estimated 5 million people through the polls that 
have gone through this type of experience in this country alone, not looking at what's happening worldwide with this experience, where do these people go to? You know, the only place that's open for them, it seems to be, is to go to these UFO researchers, abduction researchers that want to ex- either exploit their story or help, or put them in a support group where they all cry on each other's shoulder, you know, and learn to handle or, or live with the experience. You know, if I was raped, I wouldn't want to just learn to live with the experience. I would want to be able to overcome it, mm. you know, and that's what we're talking about here. And I think that the and, church will, I mean, it is It is going to uh, wake up more, I think, that people just, just, it is in these last days, I think people are going to start to understand, because, I mean, it's explaining the things that were unexplainable, Daniel 2, and, and Genesis 6, and even Revelations, I mean, it makes Revelations work, uh, just real quick, I think that the aliens won't show up, or, or all this disclosure landing out on the White House lawn, until all the people that have authority over them are gone and this will happen with the rapture and the devil like us has no idea when the when the rapture will happen but but my guess is he's going to see that as a as a starting gun and will immediately introduce this deception of aliens and attempt to explain the rapture away through the uh, the the aliens now here which will unify us into this one world government and this one world religion i mean it's like it's the piece of the puzzle i mean it's go, it's going to have to come out i mean how do you see this deception unfolding as far as as far as that goes i <clears throat> i've read a lot of the, the the theories from theologians um on what they feel this is is going to happen and i, I see a lot of the same line of what you just described and the one thing that it, it makes it tough to get this information out is you just described a really scary picture first for a lot of people you know, at the same time, we know there's a hope for all of this. But for people that aren't believers and uh, that don't know, understand fully what we're talking about, to them, this is a real fear. This is something that they really don't want to think about. You know, it's bad enough living with the troubles they have in everyday life, but to, to think about something that dramatic happening, you know, it's easier to put the blinders on. Well, they're going to get some blinders, you know, one way or the other. I mean, that's that's what this oh, yeah. is all about. I mean, it's, it's, in, the, good. in the end, it says, every knee shall bow. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have on our sign out in uh, Alien Resistance Headquarters in Roswell, which we have out there in Roswell. Um, Guy Malone established it some years ago. And right on the sign, it says, every knee shall bow. A lot of questions come out of that one mm-hmm. when people see it. You know, I have to, uh, you know, along with the sleep paralysis, which I think is just identical to, to this. So many people are having this. I mean, that's almost how these abductions seem to start, is the, the paralysis and sleep felt by and accompanied by this feeling of an evil presence in the room. And that has been its own subculture of people dealing with this and, and suffering the same torment uh, as sleep paralysis. But, but wow, they are, they are rejecting this idea of religion having anything to do with this wholeheartedly and with a, with a uh, uh, you know, a really you know really distaste for it and it's just unfortunate because you know it could end this i think that you know it seems to be manifesting in that way too but one one another thing that that just clicked on me with reading all these things uh by the way what's the website that people can read a lot of these testimonies at um i've got case testimonies on uh ce4research.com but i'm also working uh with another couple guys Uh, we formed a new group called uh a support group and it's our mission uh, work that is called AACCOA, Alien Abduction Crisis Center of America, uh, .org. And on that site, um, I actually have 
over 70, I think, uh, case testimonies that are posted on there that they can browse through. And the AACCOA was uh, founded a couple of years ago by uh, Dave Rafino uh, from the DelusionResistance.org, uh, Jim Wilhelmson from EchoesOfEnic.com, and myself. And we wanted to take it to the next level to where we could build an organization of uh, counselors uh, nationwide that you wouldn't have to talk to somebody clear across the country. You could talk to somebody more local. And over the past couple of years, we've had a lot of counselors come on board to make themselves available to work with experiencers and to help them come through this. Uh, we've even got uh, people up in Canada, Texas, California, uh, Ohio, uh, another couple here in Florida. We've actually got one in South Africa. So we've expanded outside of America already. Um, and this is something that for years I knew this is where we had to get to because I've worked with, you know, over 250 cases. I can't work with everybody all the time. Uh, I don't have time to do that. There needs to be a help system there somehow. And this is what we had hoped for for so long, and now we're seeing it happen. We're actually building a group of counselors um, that can make themselves available in any part of the country at any time. Mm -hmm. This has been a real dream come true here. It's okay. a must-need. How can our listeners uh, help? Uh, first of all, what kind of things can can we pray for? What do you pray for in regards to all this? And what can we pray for? And, and how can uh, any listener that hears this on the Internet help if they want to join in this spiritual war with you? Um, the main prayer I ask for is that we, we get an opening to be able to share this. Uh, that's the biggest thing we've come across. We, we've got so much information uh, to be able to share and help people. It's just being able to get to that avenue. Um, it's one thing to be able to talk at a Christian conference um, with what we did in Roswell. Um, I've had a couple chances to talk in churches. There needs to be more avenues to where I can get into the churches and talk, and the other counselors that I work with, too, because they're as knowledgeable as I am. And the, the, big, the big plus this year, I think, is being able to speak at the secular conference in Roswell. I mean, I'm actually talking at the UFO Festival, and that's a major major place to start. And I hope this is just the start. And then hopefully uh, within this next year we'll be able to start putting a book together. Dave Rafino and I are going to be working on it. Um, he has testimonies through delusion resistance himself and we're going to combine it all and, and put one book together where we can make it available. Uh, can you go over some of the just pertinent biblical references that we need to know in, in this, uh, just some of the key key passages and even why Jesus' name has this authority over over literally everything in the universe. <laughs> You're going to catch me off guard there. Um, I don't have them all at my fingertips, but we do have them on the websites, on the AACCO site and uh, also on uh, the Delusion Resistance site. Um, there's some key major theology work that Dave Ravina has done on this Delusion Resistance site. <laughs> and it's, there's a ton of information there. And also on the Alien Resistance site, you could spend your lifetime trying to go through that site. And we've laid it all out through the work with uh, Dr. Chris Ward, who is a pastor and a theologian. And all of those are right there. They can take you step by step right through all of this. Have you noticed, uh, I, what I was saying earlier, that I saw so many um, parallels to MK Ultra that too many to really... To really deny here, uh, a few just to name a few. I mean, the torture and fear-based 
treatments designed to break the morality of the individual, uh, the amnesia associated with the experiences are, is identical in a number of ways. Uh, the sons of daughters higher-ups in the military agencies, uh, interview, I interviewed a mind control victim who, as a side note, claimed to have been abducted, but the, the odd thing that he connected this abduction to a visit, his father was CIA, and he connected it to a, a very unpleasant visit with uh, one of his father's colleagues a few days before, and he connected this, this UFO abduction to it. He doesn't remember anything past that, but um, the same guy, actually, I won't go into a lot of this stuff, but but uh, some of the experiencers recall these military men, sometimes with aliens, sometimes just the aliens, sometimes just military men. Do you see any connection with this MK Ultra? Are you familiar with it, and have you run into it a lot? I haven't run into it myself, but I've had uh, a, a lot of experience uh, of a couple people that have been through this connection uh, with the two. And one of them, real important, is uh, Leah Haley. Uh, she wrote a book, Lost Was the Key, uh, quite some years ago, and it was her experiences um, as an abduction experiencer. And then she wrote uh, another book called Unlocking Alien Closets, and that's her most recent one. And we actually had her speak out at uh, our conference in Roswell, the Ancient of Days conference. And she has dealt with a lot of this, and she has dealt with abduction experiences from military and from what the UFO realm calls extraterrestrial. Um, but actually, in her book, she realizes that the aliens aren't who they say they are anyway. But she sees the connection between the two. And it's a major one that I haven't gotten into because I haven't had to deal with that uh, specifically with any experiencer. Uh, and if I did, I would hopefully re be able to refer them to her um, to be able to talk to because she's, she's real good with working with experiencers. And uh, she's also a Christian believer now. She she has been raised a Christian, but then through trying to find out what the answers were for all that was happening to her, um, she moved away from it. And now she's back um, walking her faith. And she also understands and agrees with what I'm finding here, that this is a spiritual nature. These are not entities on who that you know that's that are who they say they are mm -hmm. uh, but she doesn't understand why the government has a tie-in with all of it and that's something that we're still puzzled by yeah uh, i think that is going to be end up being the key to all this in fact uh in you know daniel 2 uh you know it speaks about the the last empire and it says that they will mink, be mixing their seed with the seed of man this suggests in my opinion that they, those that are going to be pulling the strings in this last empire, the rulers will th themselves be a kind of hybrids. Uh, I, I don't know, either, either, you know, in the open or 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 not in the open. But do you have any? I mean, I guess you were just saying that not not really at this point. But do you have any reason to believe that 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 is a possibility? I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, you, you know, how you had seen all these. Uh, do you do you notice much of the preoccupation with the reproductive system and producing these things like that first case that you had mentioned? And I know that a lot of times they're just torturing people and having fun or something. But is there an agenda? Do you think with the genealogy and the Genesis six Nephilim connection? <coughs> sort of like what David Jacobs talks about with his work um, with the genetics. Um, boy, this is a tough one, and uh, <laughs> even some of my close research buddies hate me when I get into this one. The, because it looks like 
there's a hybridization program going on. Okay? They assume that, yes, this is what's happening, um, that they're actually working on some kind of hybrid uh, for whatever purpose in the end. And you, you, the scripture that you read pretty much would say this is a possibility. But through the experiences um, with these people that I have talked to and studied, I, <laughs> this, this is tough. Um, I do not believe, and I don't see it is why I don't believe it, that there actually is a program happening. Well, I believe the appearance of the hybridization program is about is control, not a reality in itself. Keep in mind that mostly women are the ones that go through the abduction experience. If you want to control a woman, pull on her heartstrings, and that would be through the maternal instinct. Mm -hmm. By giving false pregnancies, and I say false pregnancies because there is no documented evidence of anyone ever having a true pregnancy and the baby taken, even though that's what they tell you they believe happened to them. Mm -hmm. There's not one documented case. And the whole study of false pregnancy syndrome is, is so fantastic. And, and you, if you really study what that's about, you, you can see how this is probably what's happening, is a, a false pregnancy is happening. But these entities are playing on that. They're, they're able, I don't know whether they're able to make it happen or they're playing on the fact that it did happen. Um, keeping in mind that these entities cannot read our minds, um, but they can suggest things, okay? Um, there is communication back and forth when they're in the abduction state, which is not really in, in a normal state, okay? Uh, it's in the dream state, should I say. Uh, Paul talked about that, the, the battlefield being in the mind, you know? Um, and he also, there was one instance where he said he was taken to the third heaven. I know not whether in my body or out. And that's sort of what we're looking at here, um, that it's not a real event. Uh, I do not believe that these people are actually taken anywhere. Uh, the cases that I'm seeing are actually showing otherwise, that this is uh, sort of like what you would call an astral projection or an out-of-body type experience. Their body stays there. And along with the pregnancies, too, it, it, they can have all the symptoms of pregnancy, but it's, it's not a pregnancy. And then the enemy can use that to implant in their mind whatever ideas they want and take that story from theirs. Mm -hmm. And usually that's followed by another experience or memory, should I say, because most of these are memories what we're dealing with, <clears throat> that they had seen hybrid children. And all of this is the control factor. Uh, once you can hook the woman at using these methods, you know, you've got her hooked for life, especially if they show that they want to care for these hybrid children, which is usually what's happened. They, they, the, the experience afterward, they're shown the children, and they're, they, they're told that the, the child needs love, and the only one that can give it to them is them, not the entities, because the entities don't have that ability. Um, and that will hook a woman every time. It's uh, of... Uh, Joyce Aarons that I talked to you about, um, it did not hook her. Uh, she had that false pregnancy. She had that so-called pregnancy and believed that they had taken it. 
and when she was shown the entity, she wanted no, no part of it. You know, that, that didn't work on her. But she had gone through that experience. So myself, is it possible that I'm missing something here and they're really doing something genetic? Possible. But do I believe it's actually a genetic program? No, I don't. Right, I can agree with and, that. I, I don't and whether it being a real event or not, one of the testimonies uh, that I have that I'm saving for the book, but I will share it with you uh, and your listeners, that, that tells me this is not a, a, a true physical event, which the researchers that I work with hate for me when I say that. They say, well, you've got to leave that, that door open. I said, no, I don't. I said, you know, that if I leave that door open, these people can't be helped. You know, we need to shut all the doors. And I've, I've had success in helping shut these doors by not leaving that door open. An example is, is uh, when I first got into this, one of the first, second experience I ever came across, uh, the first was the guy from the video that I had missed. The second one um, was uh, a guy that called me one night. I, I was working second shift at the time, and I just got in about 11.30 at night, and he calls me, and he's, he was a friend of mine, and uh, he was one of my biggest ridiculers of being in the UFO funny stuff, you know. He had every joke you could ever have <laughs> uh, to give me about being dealing with UFOs and aliens and all of that. He thought it was a big joke. But he called me one night, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I, I ridiculed you over the years. And I said, why do you say that? He says, because i got to share with you that something's been happening to me, and it seems to be like the stuff you deal with. And I thought, really? Well, I was kind of busy at the time, and I said, well, we need to get together and we'll talk about it. And I for some reason, I asked him, I said, uh, do you want it to stop? And uh, he says, well, you know, it's not really bad or anything. I said, okay. And I left it at that. And I was going to get back with him later, you know, a week or so. Well, that was on a Monday night. And then by Thursday night, um, I get another phone call when I get in from work. And he's in an absolute panic. And I'm going, what's wrong? And he says, I've been taken twice tonight. And I said, What? And he says, yes, two times. And he says, uh, I I'm scared to death. I says, why? I said, you told me this was nothing to be you know, afraid of and it wasn't anything bad. He says, no, this is bad. And uh, he was totally sincere in his voice. And while I had him on the phone trying to get you know this, what's happening to him out of him, he says, they're coming again. And you know a lot of experiencers can tell when the experience is about to happen or going to happen. Um, and I see that a lot with the, a lot of these experiences. <clears throat> and I said, okay, uh, I, and I knew he had a girlfriend that he uh, was living with, and I said, is your girlfriend there? And uh, he said, yeah. And I said, put her on the phone now. And uh, she grabbed the phone, and she says, who is this? And I explained to her who I, who I was, and she had no idea that he'd been having any type of weird experiences with UFOs or aliens or whatever. He didn't share it. And I said, what happened to him tonight? And uh, she says, well, just a minute, let me check on him. He's on the floor right now. And I said, what? And she says, yeah, he's, he's out of it on the floor. And I said, well, what happened earlier this evening? I said, he's going to be fine. I said, trust me. And she said, well, you know, we were going to the different bars playing dart on a dart league. And uh, I said, okay. And she said, uh, twice tonight, she says, I was driving. He was in the passenger seat, and he said something was about to happen. And he would just slump over. And I said, how long was he slumped over? She says, oh, just for a minute or so. But it scared the hell out of me because I, I checked him for a pulse, and it, I, I felt pulse, but he, he felt cold, you know. 
and uh, I said, what'd you do? She says, I pulled over, you know, to, to help him out. And by that time, he'd wake up, but he'd be all distraught, and you know, and like he was scared or something. And uh, he wouldn't talk about it. And it happened again a second time. And I said, okay, I want you to trust me. He's going to be okay. By the time I got all this out to her, he grabs the phone. He's back up again, you know, and he, and he grabs the phone and first words out of his mouth, they're pissed at you. Well, I'm on my knees by this time. This is straight communication from the entities that he's dealing with to me. They're pissed at me. <laughs> and I said, pissed about what? And he says, because you know the blank what's happening and what's going on. I said, well, do you know what I know? He says, you haven't talked to me yet. So these entities are listening. They're listening to us talking on this show. Um, they can't read the minds, but they can hear you when you speak. They see your actions. And this is something that happens all the time. If these are spiritual beings, this is not an extraterrestrial from another planet that flies in. These entities are in a parallel universe with us. Okay? Um, and you mentioned the words before. Uh, actually, in the studies, if you look at this uh, scripturally, and this is what Dr. Chris Ward did, what we're dealing with here. It, Demons are the are, is not the right word for it for who these entities are. If you look at their abilities and um, and you take it back scripturally and look at the abilities that angels had in scripture, these entities mirror the abilities that God's angels had. What we're dealing with here, uh, Doctor uh, Mike Heiser uses the term: uh, these are the hosts of heaven. Okay, this is the angelic realm that we're battling against and it's not God's angels these are the bad angels uh, but the abilities they have are the same uh, this is why we see such paranormal activity that uh, Jack Valet talked about you know in, in his books this is why the paranormal seems to continually show up they're able to shapeshift they're able to manipulate they're able to come in different guises um, this is the reason for that is because they're not demons they're, they're a higher level than that and if Ephesians six four talks about that, principalities, powers, evil wickedness in the heavenly realm. We're dealing with the hierarchy, and the, the top of the hierarchy. This is why they're so deceptive. Um, that's my spin on it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, from you know reading it, it seems like people have stopped these attacks by by speaking the name of Jesus and and just by thinking or praying in the name of Jesus, or even spelling it out with their pinky finger um, when they couldn't speak. Um, so, it, or, it's just a, it's just amazing to read through these. You get such a an idea of Satan's tactics and also of God's rules and the legal system of all this, and you start to really really understand how all this works. I mean, that's why I keep saying it. it's, a, it's the front lines of really truly understanding our our gift of of power over evil and and exactly how that works and everything. You know, it, it's it's so it's so important for everybody to know. Absolutely, and I think some of the message that we hear in, in some of the churches, uh, no names of denominations or anything, but a lot of the, the, the sermon messages that are heard are, you know, you're a miserable sinner, you're a miserable sinner. You know, it didn't take me long till I realized, well, you know, I don't have to be told that too many times, you know, especially not every other Sunday. Um, what I want to be told is how not to be a miserable sinner, and there is an answer for that, you know. In that chapter of Ephesians 6, it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Um, and I've heard that sermon many, many times. But, you know, 
that sermon is always stopped at one certain point, and it puzzled me. And I, you know, I asked uh, God to show me that where is the answer for all of this? Where is the biblical evidence for this event that we're talking about? Where does this authority come from? Where does it say we can do this? And uh, I'm pulling it up right now. It's in Ephesians, same chapter. And when I saw this, I was just like, yes, you know, this is the answer for all of this right here. And it's so simple. And it was, it's like uh, the rest of the sermon, should I say. Uh, the part that wasn't being told. And let's see. The last one talking about uh, putting on the whole armor of God. And this is for protection, okay? And it's verse uh, 17. We started with verse uh, chapter 6. Uh, Ephesians 6.12. It tells you who the entities are. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, heavenly places. And it takes you through all the pieces of the armor for your protection. And the last one, verse 17, and this is where the sermon usually stops, and take the helm of the salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if you picture what they're describing there, they're leaving you standing with all this protective armor on and to stand. Okay? And to stand and to stand. Well, if you're a football player and you have all this armor on, you know, out on the field, and you only play defense, you're never going to win. At some point, you have to go offense. And I'm not seeing the offensive move taught, you know, because you can't stand for long. You're going to get tired, your knees are going to get weak, and there's going to be an opening in your armor, and you're going to get stuck. And I, I could see this in my mind, that this is what was happening. And I said, Lord, there's got to be something that, that is showing us what these people have done by calling in your name. That's an offensive move. Show me the scripture where this is at. And, you know, it was only two verses later from all of those sermons I'd heard on putting on the whole armor of God, and they'd stop at verse 17. The next two verses give it away. The offensive move. That's the, the victorious move is in the next two verses, the ones you don't hear. And I never understood that. Next two verses... Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this and with all perseverance and supposition for all the saints. And this one is the key one, verse 19. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. What's the offensive move? Open your mouth boldly. And to do what? Make known the mystery of the gospel. People say, well, what's the mystery of the gospel? Well, the mystery of the gospel, which was meaning something that was withheld for a period of time and then revealed. The mystery is that, which has been revealed, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that wasn't revealed until the day of Pentecost. When Christ was crucified on the cross, Satan thought he'd won. But the day of Pentecost, when it came, at that point, he realized that, uh-oh, anybody that becomes a believer inherits this authority that the one man had before. Mm -hmm. 
So as believers, we can claim that authority also through Jesus Christ. And that was Jesus' prayer before he ascended into heaven, and he said, you know, that he protected us from the evil one while he was here through the power of that name, the name that the Father gave him. And then that's what he said to that we're to use why he's gone to use his name to Absolutely. protect us from that from the evil one and that's it, it, we don't I mean I think I feel that name has authority over every molecule on in the universe you know you can Absolutely. use it in anything not just these guys but everything it's it's just so so powerful you should practice saying it you know and, and you're using your authority <laughs> all the time and keep in mind it doesn't work as a magic word oh uh, yeah. we've had people that say that. They've written into us and said, well, I tried that, and it didn't work. Well, you got you, you, you take that authority and you claim that authority as a believer. It's not a magic word. It's not going to work as an abracadabra. Okay? Um, that, that to let your listeners know for sure. Um, this, this is all about allegiance. Okay? This whole battle uh, with these entities and, and humans, uh, what people call extraterrestrials and these humans, this is a, a spiritual battle, and there's a prize for this battle, and that prize is your soul. And you, you, this is about allegiance, okay? If you're not in allegiance with Jesus Christ, then you're wide open to these entities. But if you're in allegiance with him, you have power over these entities. And how do people do that, if they're wondering? <clears throat> By accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it's very simple. And, and I didn't realize how simple it was until I did it myself. And there were only two things that's required that Scripture says. First, confess with you know your mouth. Uh, believe and then confess with your mouth. Those are the two things. And that's pretty and it's easy. That simple. And then he starts working with you after that. People think you're oh, supposed to be, you know, immediate. Absolutely. <laughs> and his, you don't have to really do anything, you know. I mean, you do, but I mean, it just it's it's given to you as a gift after that, you know. Uh, Joe, That's you, a whole other radio show, my yeah, friend. yeah. Let's, let's not get <laughs> Joe, you've been so good. I've got a few more questions here, and and, uh, and thanks for spending all this time with us. Uh, sure. Um, you know, first of all, reading through all these things, pouring over, trying trying to uh, to to do this, I got. I got to tell you, I got kind of scared. I mean, it just you hear about people even just reading books about this and having you know some of these <laughs> things. D- do you still get scared? And, and has the devil really tried some numbers on you? I bet he really is. Uh, I really is pissed at you, like that guy said. Hey, <laughs> um, okay, where do I start? <laughs> uh, illnesses, tough time at jobs, finances—you name it. It's 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 an absolute nightmare. Uh, it, it seems like the closer we get to these major conferences where we're able to share the truth, the tougher it gets. Uh, I used the term one time uh, a few years back. It's like a roller coaster ride. Uh, you got attacks by the enemy, and then victory, you know, through Jesus over the attacks, and then the enemy comes in again, and it, it's a constant battle going on. Uh, you know, and, and it, it, it's a choice that I made uh, because. I came from these people. I, I know what they're going through. Uh, I'll save most of that for the book, but I'll tell you, I came from these people. <laughs> I was part of that lie. And I know the truth. Uh, I, I've experienced the truth. And like I said, I know that I know that I know. And I wouldn't give it up for anything. So I was willing to go out and help others be set free. Um, that is a choice that I made. But I could have made the choice just to go sit on a bench and let somebody else do it. And the ones that sit on the bench, they don't get 
hit. They don't get the attacks, you know, because they're not a threat. But to be the enemies, I used to belong to him. And now I'm fighting against him, and I know his ways. So, yeah, he's pissed at me. <laughs> Real pissed. I'm a threat. Mm-hmm. So the attacks do come. And if you talk to any of us that are in this realm, uh, it, it's just it's mind-blowing what we've gone through. Um, I just came out of uh, prostate cancer just this past fall, and he wish he'd never done that because that gave me time. Six weeks down, I was out of surgery, and um, gave me time to work on my book. You know, it probably won't make me sick again because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to use that time against him. <laughs> and that's part of what the warfare is about. When he puts you down, kick him harder. You know, mm-hmm. go back. Fight back harder. And I know that, you know, Scripture tells me, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world, you know. And uh, I have to live by that. And and my rewards are going to come later. I don't look for financial fortune and all of that out of this. I don't expect to make millions writing a book. My whole purpose is to help people one-on-one. And uh, if I can do that, my rewards will come later. Mm -hmm. And it's a tough fight. When people come in to work with us as counselors, I must warn them. You know, <laughs> and they're like, "What?" And I said, "You really need to be prayed up over this. Uh, don't take this lightheartedly, uh, and you really need to know what you're getting into." <clears throat> you know, it's it's different than other ministries that I've seen. Uh, why? I'm not sure. Is it closer to the truth? Maybe. Um, is it closer to the end of things that are going to happen? Probably. And. You know, that might be all part of it, why we get such intense, uh, you know, battles against us. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And he's, it's, it's a shame in one sense because it seems like the devil has such a lockdown on this this coming New Age philosophy. You know, take Zechariah Sitchin, for example. We know through Michael Heiser, Dr. Heiser, and, you know, Sitchin is com is a good example, but... it. You know, people are, are it's it's kind of setting the groundwork for this introduction to aliens, and it really solves a lot of problems and helps helps bring this new age uh, philosophy. Uh, you know, ties in the aliens. It's it's like it's a bedrock. Um, do you, do you see stuff like that is is intentionally malicious? I do, and um, somebody who's covered that really good. A lot of the the stuff that how should I say the. Uh, the plan that the enemy has laid out to, to make all this happen. Um, a, a good friend of mine, Gary Bates, out of Australia, <clears throat> wrote a book called uh, Alien Intrusion, UFOs and the Evolution Connection. And uh, he takes it right from the very beginning all the way through on, on how you can see the plan that's been all laid out that the enemy's working, taken through Hollywood and everything else, getting us exposed to all of this and getting us accustomed to it. And uh, it, it's just fantastic how you can see this this whole thing laid out. And uh, in his book, when he when he calls it uh, the evolution connection, um, the attack being uh, against Christianity, and the attack is at the foundation. Uh, if, you, if you're looking at the uh, a building, let's say, he's not attacking at the third floor and the fifth floor and on up. He's attacking at the foundation because if you pull the foundation out, the whole thing tumbles down. And a lot of the lies that come out of the communication from these entities uh, through channelers and through experiencers that have been in contact, um, it's always against, uh, you know, the foundational things in Genesis. Uh, The attack is always against uh, 
it's always based on evolution. You know, we're millions of years older than you are, and and it comes against actually what God's word says. You know, I believe that this is a, a short, you know, a, a new earth, not an old earth like some people believe. The evolutionists believe. I don't think we've been here nearly as long as they they think they that we have. Um, and the creation scientists have done a lot of work to be able to share that truth with us. And that's where Gary comes out of his uh, uh, creation science on the web group out of Australia. And uh, powerful work he's done with that book. I've got to read that's that. That sounds right up my alley right there. Read. Oh, that is fantastic. And he goes into the, the whole thing that uh, Mike Heiser talks about uh, with Genesis 4, um, which is new to a lot of uh, uh, the churches to look at. But he takes a... a he takes a, a fair look at looking at Genesis 4 the way Mike does with, uh, you know, the sons of God being the fallen hosts of heaven. Genesis And 6. also looking at the way that most churches look at it being, the, you know, the, the fallen line of Seth. And he ends up with like 14 pages talking about the, the fallen hosts of heaven being the sons of God compared to like two pages that was everything he could come up with, right. which is how he grew up with it. You know the line of Seth, and that's taught in so seminary. You can see right there, and it's a shame. You know, but, but if you open that door in churches, and you know that's you're opening a major can of worms. Right, I think that's the can of worms that needs to be opened to really get the foot in the door to start, you know, letting the good body of Christ know how, how real this war is. A, a, a few other things. Um, one, do you, I don't know, do you see these entities at all actually literally feeding on fear? Do you see that as something that's a possibility that they're actually getting more power from fear, that they get something off of it, or do you just think they just generally like it? I know it's not a question. Don't know, for, don't know for sure. I know that it's enjoyed by them, um, and the fear is a control method mm-hmm. uh, that they use. And do, 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 most likely that's probably something that they do feed off of, mm-hmm. seeing that it's used as a control. What about 3 a.m.? What is the deal with that? It keeps showing up. <laughs> um, well, that's the time we're in REM sleep normally. Most people are. And uh, that's the time we're most vulnerable. Well, okay, that makes sense. It does seem like he is just chomping at the bit to get us at the most vulnerable uh, you know, point. Uh, a few more things. I'm almost done. Almost got it here. Uh, sure. Uh, Yeshua, the name Yeshua, do you have people use that? Does it seem any more or less powerful since, you know, some people claim that that is the, or close to the original pronunciation in the Hebrew? And you did a good job on it. <laughs> um, equally strong. Mm-hmm. And do, are there Because s- it's coming from the heart. You know, if you were raised and the only word that you were told was the English word Jesus, it, you know who that is. Mm-hmm. But... People like myself and Dave Rafino and Jim Wilhelmson and Michael Heiser, uh, those of us that are doing Hebraic studies and some of us even uh, following a lot of the Hebraic traditions of our uh, Christian ancestry, uh, we understand the word Yeshua and we're more comfortable using it, you know, being that that's more proper. And uh, most likely that's what he was called at the time. Uh, so we would be more prone to use that, being that we know it. But if you don't know it, and all you know is Jesus, you know, God knows your heart. He knows what, you, what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a few more. I, I noticed that a few experiences uh, came from families belonging to 
a what, what's known as like Illuminati type uh, satanic ritual abuse families, uh, which would just be like anything else. They're, it's a foothold that Satan can use because of the heavier the occult, uh, probably, and the sacrificing and all that stuff. You know, gives them a big foothold. Do you have a lot of that? Do you have a lot of people claiming that kind of thing? <coughs> Not a lot. Uh, enough that it, it has to be taken as being part of it. Um, I think it's just one of the doorways that uh, one of the doors that people have opened you know that uh, the enemy holds up all these doors like a game show on TV millions of doors pick one pick one pick one pick one you know and any one of them is going to get you to the wrong place but Jesus turned around and said I stand at the door and knock he only has one the door and knock but all of these were open doors, and I'm seeing a connection. I, I saw it quite a few years ago, actually. Um, in all of the uh, paranormal activity, whether you're dealing in uh, fortune telling, you're dealing in Ouija boards, you're dealing with uh, psychic abilities, UFOs, ghosts, or any of that, there's there's uh, like an overlay that blends between all of them, you know. And you might open this door over here, yet that won't allow this one to be open, you know, and the enemy could come in that way. So you see so many ways that the doors have been opened. Um, I hate to get into this part of it, but uh, one of them through the uh, the family line part, I see a, one. I keep seeing ones that were involved in uh, the Masonic Lodge, even though there's some really good people there. You understand? Uh, but there are some issues that a, a lot of people, researchers, have you know, been looking at with the Masonic Order uh, along the same lines as the Illuminati lines. You know, those were doorways also that you could classify as saying shouldn't have been opened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely have a theory. Uh, that going through this, I've developed something. I'll probably go over some at a later show here. Um, Okay, uh, let's go ahead and I know you, you like to give you like to talk by phone, so let's give out your number and your websites and, and, and any way that we can pray for you and any way that people can, can help you and all this stuff. What can we do? What can we uh, look forward to? Well, I'll give you some contacts first. Uh, my site, CE4, the number four, uh, research.com, and I'm also linked in with alienresistance.org. Uh, you'll see... A connection even from my from both sites they go back and forth and then I'm also connected to uh, AACCOA.org Alien Abduction Crisis Center of America and that's our uh, support group and those are our counselors that uh, you can come through e any of the groups actually any of the websites will get to us um, my home phone is uh, area code 321 like blast off you know because we're the space center <laughs> 631-4393. And uh, if I'm not here, leave a message. I'll get back with you. And I prefer to talk by phone anyway. Uh, email takes too long, and it's not as personal. And I seem to be able to work uh, with people a lot quicker, uh, and they feel more comfortable if they hear a, you know, a human voice on the other end. Um, and they're more open to share things, you know, if you can talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. And that's the way I'm trying to teach the other counselors to be. Most of us have... Uh, um, free long distance to where it's not a problem where we can call somebody and talk to them, you know, for an extended period of time if we have to. Uh, our purpose is to help. And uh, as far as prayers go, um, like I said, the main prayer I would is 
is those doors to be open to be able to to get this message out there. And I hope it's starting here with uh, this trip to Roswell. These radio shows are important. Uh, I've done a number of them like yours, and each one reaches another group of people. And uh, that's an avenue that we didn't have a few years ago uh, when I started into this. Uh, even the websites, you know, weren't getting the hits that they were that they are now. And uh, now they're in the thousands. I don't even have a counter anymore. I gave up on watching it. It wasn't important. You know, I just know that they're still coming, mm-hmm. uh, especially when I'm still getting emails and still getting phone calls. I don't even need a counter. I know it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, protection. We could always use, uh, if you're not one of those that want to become frontline, uh, I have no problem if you're sitting on the bench and praying for us while we're out there. You know, we still need those people. We need our prayer support group. And uh, my church backs me in what I do. They support me. They uh, help send me out to the ministry uh, mission field that I, I work in here. And uh, but we can always use, you know, other people out there to, to help us. And, of course, 777 in Roswell. Absolutely, uh, 070707. And I know that, that number was there for a special reason. You know, those are God's numbers, and this is God's truth that I'm going to be sharing. And of all places, you know, in, in Roswell, New Mexico, at the UFO Festival Conference. Mm-hmm. Right on that 33rd parallel there, when I like to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, Joe, I can't thank you enough for spending the time out. I, I hope we get this out uh, to the to the four corners, and we and we really uh, we really wake some people up with all kinds of different different things here. And 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 I hope I think we did some some good. Okay. And I sure appreciate the you know the opportunity to share all this. Okay, everybody. Joe Jordan of the CE4 Research Group, and a generally good guy. You're listening to no listening to Nowhere to Run on the Revere Radio Network.